this Hallmark Quality Control. Welcome back to another episode of Hallmark Quality Control. I'm Reagan. I'm Ansley. And I'm Morgan. And today we're bringing you a special review of the Hallmark Hall of Fame movie, The The Magic of Ordinary Days from 2005. Um, This is a movie starring Carrie Russell and Skeet Ulrich. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about um, some of the events in the movie, and then I'm sure we've got a lot to talk about in terms of what we thought about this movie as well. Hall of Fame movie today, so we might be getting a different caliber of production here. The Magic of Ordinary Days um, takes place in 1944. It's a story about a young woman named Livy Dunn, Olivia, and um, she has made a mistake that's alluded to at the beginning. We find out a little bit later what that mistake is. We meet her on a train um, traveling out to Colorado where we find that she has had a marriage arranged for her by her father who is a minister. She shows up um, at the church and gets married to um, Ray, Ray Singleton, a guy that she has never met before. Um, We find out from their dialogue that um, Livy is um, expecting a baby, um, that she had had some kind of affair, and in order to kind of hush this up, her father had this idea that she would go and get married and then she wouldn't be an unwed mother. Um, But now she's in Colorado in this small farming community in the middle of nowhere married to somebody that she does not know. Um, So Ray is um, a little uncomfortable at first, but as as they kind of get to know each other better, they warm up a little bit um, to each other as well. Livy had left graduate school um, where she was studying archaeology when her mother um, became ill. Um, so she left home, she left her graduate school to stay home and and care for her sick mother while her sister Abby was busy with her new husband, Kent. And we find out that after her mother had passed, she was really lonely. Um, she ended up getting involved with a soldier named Edward. And as she is starting to get to know Ray and getting used to farm life, um, something she's not very accustomed to, she is sending Edward letters. Um, and trying to contact him regarding her pregnancy. Um, We find out that Livy can't really cook, um, but she tries to learn, she tries to adapt to the farm life, and really Ray is very selfless and supportive of her. He really doesn't push her. Eventually, Abby comes for a visit, um, Livy's sister, and says, hey, I really think that you should come back to Denver to have your baby. Um, Father will be happy now because you're not going to be an unmarried mother, um, so you should just come and stay with me. My husband, Kent, is gone, and and I'm so lonely, and you should come stay with me. But Livy makes a decision to, at least for now, that she's going to stay with Ray, who is trying to learn and remember songs to sing to the baby. He's checking books out from the library on how to be a parent, and you can tell that he's really invested in this as a future. He digs a swimming hole for Livy because she says that she enjoys that. Um, Livy, who's feeling kind of lonely there in the farmhouse, meets um, two girls who are Japanese-American from a local internment camp um, that have been sent over to raise farm 
to help with the production. The government has sent workers from internment camps to kind of help the farmers um, during the war effort to keep the food supply safe. So she meets um, Rose and Flory and becomes friends with them, takes them for drives out to see butterflies, and we experience um, some of the prejudice that um, local people in the community have towards Japanese Americans as well. We find out that Ray's brother, Danny, was actually killed in the attack at Pearl Harbor. Ray also has an older sister, um, who Martha, who lives nearby with her husband Hank and her kids as well. The, the relationship between Ray and Livy kind of comes to a head when um, she gets a response back to Livy Dunn, not using her married name in the mail, and it's from Edward. And he basically says... Good luck to you. I hope you find the father of your baby, but it's not me. I'm not responsible for that. And that that's really hurtful for both of them. While Livy didn't hear from him, she could imagine she says I could imagine that he wanted me. Um he really didn't. It was it's pretty obvious. It was just a fling for this guy, but she's hurt Ray by reaching out to this man. Eventually, they kind of work through those issues. He says, "Look, one day you're going to forgive yourself, and that's how I know that we can be happy together." So in the end, um, she learns to forgive herself and Ray is so understanding. She has her baby and we can see that they he's in love with her, she's in love with him, and they're going to stay married and, and be happy together. Um, as for um, Rose and Flory, Flory um, tells Livy that she has met a new gentleman friend and really wants Livy to, to meet him. Turns out that this is a German POW and Flory is trying to help him escape. Livy gets caught up in it by, um, you know, she would give the girls rides, but Livy very cleverly um, arranges things so that the POW, the German POW will get caught without anyone being implicated. And I think um, Flory learns a valuable lesson from it. She's lonely and she wanted something to make her feel better. Um, so they've learned their lesson and Livy and Ray um, are happy together as a family. That's most of what we experience in the film. Of course, some other things we didn't cover there. I think this is a really great film and we're going to get into um, some of the things that are so great about it. But first, I want to hear from Morgan and Ansley. What do you think about this film? What are the highlights for you? Um, I guess, I don't know if I would say there's like a particular highlight, just the whole thing is just, it's a good story. It's, it's an interesting story. Um, you know, the way it opens, you sort of see her on the train and they sort of slowly unfold what's going on. I think both of the lead actors really were very strong and, um, pl played very well. The, there was a lot of emotion under the surface of the dialogue um at times or even just unspoken um i just think this is one of the better hallmark hall of fame movies that i've seen um even even out of a hallmark hall of fame movie i would say this is near the top for me i think the story is interesting and it has a moral which you know is um an interesting one to kind of contemplate in modern terms um, but yeah, I think the, I think the strong acting, uh, really is what made this one successful. Yeah. It's, uh, with Carrie Russell and Skeet Ulrich. So they're getting some people who are a little bit higher quality actors, um, for it, 
with it being a Hall of Fame movie. Yeah. What has Skeet Ulrich, what else has he been in? I know Carrie Russell's been in a bunch of stuff that she's like famous for the Americans and all that, but what else has Skeet Ulrich been in? I think, I think he's most famous for a role in The Walking Dead. Oh. He was, I think he was in something in the 80s or something. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> the 80s. Or the 90s. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, how old is he? <laughs> uh, and then I think now he's known for being in Riverdale, but um, yeah. So just so not a bottom shelf. Yeah, like people who have made a name for themselves in other regards, as opposed to just being like, okay, we'll just take one of our hallmark people and plug them in, you know, not like recycled from their their fame childhood. Yeah, like this is their 20 years. Right. This is almost. (laughs) Yeah, maybe before they were even bigger than they, you know, because this is from 2005. Russell, I would think. And so, you know, maybe catching some good actors on their way on their way up as well. But for me, I think um, it's really interesting that the setting that it takes place in, you know, Mm -hmm. this is a historical setting taking place um, during World War II era, but in a setting where, you know, I think we're very used to getting stories in that era, but not necessarily about some random yeah. farmer in the middle of Colorado in a small expect, town. Like, frontline, frontline war stories. Yeah, this is, you know, how the lives of some ordinary Americans um, were affected during the war um, in just an ordinary small area. Um, and I also, um, I think that the story is really good in terms of the the character growth that you can see and just the themes of, you know, learning from past mistakes, um, you know, how do you deal with your loneliness, you know, um, and kind of even what it means to honor a marriage covenant and um, yeah. what that looks like in a case where it's an arranged marriage. Um, so, yeah, it's just a very interesting story, interesting premise. There are lots of things I like about this movie, but I think – one, some of the more poignant um, themes are what it says about the way we treat people who've made mistakes. Hmm. Um, having, having a child out of wedlock is not considered by, by some to be a mistake anymore these days. That's pretty common. But um, in light of a Christian ethic that says you should, you should be married, um, and in terms of the morality that was common at the time, this is a, this is a big mistake that ruins your life. Um, you get a reputation that you have done this and, you know, good luck finding anyone who will want you after that. Um, but the way that we see Livy treated by this family as she moves there is so understanding and compassionate even when they don't even necessarily have the full details of what's gone on, they don't really know who the father of this baby is or what the situation was. Um, I think the sister, Martha says at one point, oh, I thought he had died. They don't really know what the situation is, but they see her and they don't, they don't judge and shame her. They welcome her into their family and they treat her um, as another human being with compassion. And I think it's, it seems more common to me these days that when we see people who have made mistakes in our society, what we consider to be mistakes, that there's so much judgment and anger behind that and not very much, you made mistakes, but you're a person and we all make mistakes and being accepting of, of that person and welcoming to them. And I think, I think that theme is like really evident. I mean, I've always noticed this in the movie, but I was noticing it a lot again as I watch it, like how how much 
Ray had like thought ahead towards her comfort and her security, how his mindset about the marriage was like he go- he goes to the library the f- like the second day that they're married, right? Or their f- first full day married, and they go to the library and he's checking out a book on parenthood right and the librarian says oh are you expecting a little one and he says yes we are like he's been married to this lady for one day and it's his baby you know what i mean like this is my baby and there's so many little things like that that clearly she had a different view of what this marriage was going to be like it kind of seemed like at the beginning she she was planning like she had an escape route but i think something that i picked up on this time that kind of struck me a little bit more is the comparison between this Lieutenant Edward something that got her pregnant and Ray, right? And you think about, um, okay, well, this lieutenant is, he's a flight instructor, you know, he's in the military in the middle of World War II. He must be so brave and like, what a man, you know? But how much superior does Ray end up proving to be as a man? Because it's, it's like reminding me of, I think there's like a Felicia Masonheimer article called like, marry the man who stays or something. And that's like, a, a person of character who is steady, who may not be doing the flashy job, but in the end, he was the better man. I think it brings up a lot of um, just the contrast of what her understanding of life and her expectations are as opposed to Ray's and like how different they are. And I think she goes into it expecting that people talk, people gossip, they judge. Like people are going to know when they figure out when our baby's born that it's not your baby. Like people are going to figure out. And he's like, no, people want what's best for us. They're going to be happy for us. They're going to be supportive of us. And that's his experience with people. And it's totally different than her experience. And I think that's even her experience with religion, with her father being a minister and growing up with kind of that expectation. But then his church is so welcoming and there's these uh, funny old ladies that bake her a cake and they all throw her a baby shower. And, And his sister's really nice and welcoming and everybody just really is so kind and welcoming to her. And she she says she learns more about forbearance and love being in that family than she did in the family that she grew up in. Um, And I think it also brings up this contrast of like what she expected out of life. Like she expected these big things like I'm going to get my master's in archaeology and I'm going to go off and go on some dig somewhere and, you know, do big things and whatever. And to, to her looking at Ray's life and like, oh, he's just a simple farmer who just now got plumbing in his house. And like there's he doesn't have a neighbor from eight miles away. And like. He doesn't even have a telephone. Yeah, like, oh, my goodness, he's so backward. And there's all these comments she makes about, like, you don't think these Japanese people are the same ones that killed your brother, do you? He's like, I'm not stupid. I know that. He just, there are just things that she assumes that he is less than her, assumes that his way of life being simpler in his understanding doesn't have merit to it. And it's just really interesting to watch her growth as a person as she learns, hey, not only do these people show exceptional love that I haven't received elsewhere, but these people also are not as dumb as I, as you know, I had originally thought that they were, they just have a different view on life. And she, to the point that when they reconcile at the end, she says, the truth is, I don't know if I deserve you. Like she, and you're such a good man. Yeah. And she genuinely is saying, I, you are too good for me by the end of Mm -hmm. it. Well, and I, 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 it's, I'm always, it's interesting They're They have, they're on their way to Martha's birthday party or something. And they're talking about like, the concept of land or whatever and she says you know i hold i like the indian view that you're just the caretaker on the land that you live on and he says 
that's my land is not temporary to me like this is my place and she says you know well your family's only lived on this land for like a hundred years in the span of history that's nothing like her with her like her master's degree in philosophical you know thoughts and all this like oh the indians and preserve them and he's just like but this is me living my in the span of my life a hundred years is everything. It's my entire life. This place is my entire life. And you get the idea that she's, she's ha has all these sort of like highfalutin philosophical things going on, but she's never, she's never had an opportunity to experience the kind of life that they're living, which is a simpler life, but it's a life with purpose and with care and community that she didn't have before. Ultimately, what makes their marriage last and work, even to the point where they both stay in the relationship and fall in love with each other, is pretty much Ray's selflessness from the beginning mm -hmm. of their relationship. He's When he's showing her around the house, he's like, oh, here's the, the hot and cold indoor plumbing that I just put in. It's like, okay, he put that in for her. Yeah. He was thinking about what she would want. She makes an offhand comment about how she loves to go swimming. She used to. And then he has his brother-in-law over and they're digging a swimming hole so that she can go swimming. It's like he think he's thought of everything that he could in regards to her comfort and um, making her feel welcome. And he never pushes her um, to to try and be more affectionate with him than she wants to be. He doesn't push her to cook. Like that. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't push her to cook. She she says, oh, I can't really cook. And he's like, oh, OK, well. I can cook a fair bit, and then they go to the library, and she's like, I'll get some books on cooking. She makes a super hot omelet with jalapenos, <laughs> and he very politely, like, to the side where she can't see, like, chugs water from his glass and stuff, and he doesn't say anything about yeah. how it's not good. He's like, oh, yeah, that's that's really good. That's really good cooking. You know, he's trying to be yeah. so gracious about mm -hmm. it to the point that those traditional roles didn't – the fact that she didn't fall into that traditional housewife role did not even matter to him. Like, we think of that traditional role, especially in the 40s, of, oh, well, she's the wife, and she's the homemaker, and she's got to know how to cook and, and you Take know, care be of the, the, good, the good, pure, virtuous person and all of this. And she came in, you know, already being pregnant with someone else's child, not knowing how to cook, looking down on him. Um, but he doesn't even, it doesn't even seem to, seem to really ding him that she's not fulfilling those traditional roles. He when you it's like when you have like that love and selflessness in the relationship the traditional roles matter less because you have more of the give and take between them i think to the only time you really find him like angry or upset about something is when that letter comes from the lieutenant edward what's his name right and he's it's like all of the other stuff is like these are negotiable things these are not do not have to be big things these are things that we can work through and get over right but her communicating with the father of the baby and all that's like that's that goes back to what morgan was saying about like the covenant of their marriage the other things are semantics that can be worked out but that got at what is the core like foundation of this relationship like what are the what are the elements upon which we are basing this arrangement or this relationship or hopefully you know this future family and i think at that point he almost is it, like taken aback and just hurt that i think they were just operating on different 
terms and expectations for the marriage. Yeah. And I think that's the point of reckoning for her to realize like, oh, I really shouldn't have been writing this guy. I'm not married to him. I'm married to Ray. You know, I think in the back of her head, there was like her sister was encouraging her to even lie, like leave him and lie to the church ladies back home and say, well, let's just spread the rumor that he was an alcoholic and he beat you and well, everybody will be tripping over themselves to help you and everything. And, you know, Livy's not willing to stoop down to that level, but she still is not honoring their marriage. Whereas he is like, like Ansley was saying, like, this is his baby. He's ready to be a father to it. He fully expects that this is his wife and his future, and he's married to her, and he's doing whatever he can. And so they just, they have these totally different expectations. And I think it was good for him to get a little heated and, and really show that, hey, like, yeah. I really care about this, and you you broke this covenant. Like, you're doing something wrong mm -hmm. here. And she really had never had anybody call her out for anything. He'd been so tender toward her, so caring, always, you know, just really accommodating whatever difficulties she had. And that's the point where he's just like, look, I can't, I can't, you hurt me. I can't just stand here and just be like, oh yeah, it's totally okay that you're writing this guy, you know? Well, and you know, maybe the, I wonder if there's a little bit of a comparison there between Ray and her father, right? Because her father's a minister, but we get the idea that not a particularly loving person and um, just she bore a lot of the burden of caring for her mother as she was ill and dying. Um, and she, I mean, he, he put her in a position where she was, had, had to be doing that. And then the loneliness afterward, he was not, did not know his own child well enough to think she just, left her master's degree to care full time for her mother and watch her mother die. She's probably having a rough time. Like, you know, like, do, do you know your child? And like, are you being proactive to this is really tough, but we're going to get through it as a family. Clearly, she didn't feel like there was something there. She felt like she needed to seek that seek out that sort of acceptance and love from someplace else, which obviously was the wrong place to get it. But also, I think I think um, what's interesting about that whole situation is the sister right the sister who you get the idea was not, had not very long been married to this guy named kent who apparently is also a soldier and the juxtaposition of the two of them at the beginning of the movie olivia really is a certain way right and i think you see her soften and kind of develop and integrate into the community you know throughout the movie and then when her sister abby comes to visit all of a sudden you have the comparison of what she's like now who she's becoming and the person that she was because abby is like the person that she was except more selfish because i don't care if i had been newly married or not if my mother if our mother right was ill and dying like i would be there no matter what right and so you know family family dynamics you know whatever but i just i can't imagine any of us saying well sorry i just got married i i can't be there to to help you out while mom is dying like that's and then she the only reason she comes to visit her sister is because her husband gets shipped out she doesn't come to to say you know what you're pregnant and you just married a stranger and moved out in the middle of nowhere where you don't know anybody i'm gonna come check on you and make sure you're okay the first thing she says when she's there is Oh, yeah, poor me. Kent got shipped out. I'm so lonely. Now you need to come back with me. Come live with me in Denver. We would have so much fun, you and me, right? She's not there for Olivia. She's there for her. I think it, it brings up 
real issues that lots of family experience around ill and aging parents, those are really difficult issues that families experience and sometimes break families apart by the way that they share or don't share Mm -hmm. the responsibility to care for your family members when they're being ill. So that's a very, that's a difficult issue for a lot of families to navigate. Um, Along the lines of difficult issues, we get to see some up close and personal um, consequences of Japanese internment camps in the United States during the war. We spend a little bit of time kind of hearing from Flory and Rose about the way that they were impacted. They had both been at college and had to leave that. Their family was forced to sell their house for half of its value. They're moved to this internment camp. You know, we find out that other people in this camp have been, the men had been drafted and they're fighting in France. They go out together to buy fabric so they can sew maternity outfits for Livy and they're judged and um, the patrons of that of that store are looking down on them and asking them to, to get on with their business and are you here with these people and some of that. They face a lot of judgment and Livy also sort of asks um, Ray, you know, like, you don't like the, those Japanese-American people, do you? You don't like them? You think they're responsible for your brother's death? He's like, no, I'm, I'm not stupid. I know those are different people. And in fact, they've helped keep our farms going. I don't know how we would have done it without them. And then we see him make a little, a little bit more effort to be friendly um, when they've kind of become friends with Livy as well. But that's, that's, I have to say it's, thinking about that that's a really horrible um that's a really horrible thing that that the government did to a lot of people a lot of japanese americans but that's not something we dwell on very much when usually when we talk about world war ii yeah it's truly atrocious um what they went through and yeah it makes you just it's just it is a part of world war ii and the reality of what happened that we don't we don't dwell on Um, And so that's, I think, another thing that adds to the quality of this movie, that it kind of makes Mm -hmm. you think, oh, kind of a little forgotten piece of American history uh, to remember about. And um, and yeah, their whole storyline is kind of interesting. Um, They're all like obsessed with butterflies and, you know, they draw butterflies in their sketch pad. So they go on these little adventures together. And um, I think, you know, they talk about things about their college and what they were studying and all of that. And I, I think then Livy relates to them on that level and um, is just always accepting of them and just sees them as, Hey, these are two educated women who are interesting and have, have interests and, you know, people to talk to and be friends with and get along with. And um, so she develops a nice friendship with them um, but I would say, you know, Flory has her her issues. I don't know if we want to talk about that. Flory, yeah. you know, uh, is a little bit younger. You know, you get the sense that she's younger than Rose and she's, um, you know, maybe a little boy crazy and not making the best decisions in that department in her life. And when ultimately this comes to a head when she tries to help a German POW escape um, from the POW camp. She tries to make Livy help her do it. <laughs> Yeah. She's like, Livy, why don't you co- why don't you just take us for a little drive and meet my boyfriend Walter? Yeah. And then she's made this POW outfit for him to wear to try and put put him in. Um, or she's like sewn she's sewn like a, a, a uniform. uniform. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, for him to wear to try and get him across the border. And of course, Livy sees right through that. But I always, I really appreciate what Livy says to Flory in the car because at this point in the movie, Livy and Ray have just reconciled. And you get the sense that Livy has just really understood why she made the mistakes that she did and as sort of that that lesson has really come home for her and she did what she did because she was lonely and she was sad and so she slept with somebody and she got pregnant and had this you know result and then when she's in the car with Flory and Rose and this guy is in the back of the truck and she's like you cannot do this if you do this you will regret it for the rest of your life I'm going to drop you off, go throw the bracelet he gave you into a field and never tell anyone and about And burn this. the scraps of material that you made his uniform out of. Yeah, and right. Yeah. She, says, she says to her, you're lonely and you're reaching out for something to make it better, but you will regret this and it's going to impact your family and your sister too. And I like that because it's really, we see that Livy has processed the lesson that she learned. She made a mistake yeah. because she was lonely and she wanted to feel better and she's not going to let Flory make the same mistake. Well, and I think there's there's a couple things, too, that uh, as far as, like, morals maybe to learn from it. First of all, you get the sense that Rosie clearly thinks this is a bad idea, Flory. This is not good. You know, we don't need to be get involved in all of this. Um, you know, she thinks maybe a little more along the lines of the parents. And I think it's, it's testament to the fact that a lot of times... Um, People in our lives, like family members, see things more clearly, you know, than we do, perhaps when you're, um, you know, if you're like lonely and just trying to like fill, fill that void with whatever, and you just latch on to the first thing, there's, there's wisdom in a multitude of, you know, wise counselors, right? There's, um, there's benefit there. And I think, uh, you know, if she'd listened to Rosie, she may have avoided that predicament a little bit. But luckily, she had Livy there to kind of help her get out of that. Livy did not have the kinds of family relationships where somebody would say, hey, I noticed you're really lonely or I noticed you're spending a lot of time with this person. Are you sure this is what you want to do? And it's only later, you know, she I, I, I think one of the scenes that I always like stands out to me is like so sad is she like wakes up in the middle of the night you know, and she's, like, crying for her mother, and Ray, like, wakes her up because she's been having a bad dream, and she she's just crying about, you know, processing everything that's happened, and she says, you know, I gave my, I was so lonely, I gave my life away to be held by a stranger, how could I do that, you know, it, it just, it's so sad that she didn't have, she didn't have relationships there that could have kept her from that. Well, on the subject of the, you know, the whole plot with the German POW, I think that the movie itself, the story is really good. There are a lot of little elements that they tie together at that moment, which I think is one of the things mm -hmm. that makes it a quality movie. So we learn early on in the movie that their gas uh, meter on their truck doesn't work. And if you tap it, it'll pop and tell you what the actual fill level is. And then it goes back up and looks like it's full. So we learn that very early on in the movie. So Livy drives around with this guy. Um, in the back of her truck until, you know, her tank is almost empty. She realizes that. She takes him into the house. She tells him, hey, go. She goes home. She, yeah, she drives to her own house after she drops the girls off. She says, hey, I'm just going to be honest with you. You're not going to make it w with this fake uniform. Go put some of my husband's clothes on. 
And so it looks like she's helping him or whatever. Um, and so she sets the key in an obvious place. And yeah, she, like while he goes to change, she takes the gas tank out of the back of the truck and sets it, um, sets it down on the ground. And then he's like thinking he's being all clever and like, do you have anything to drink? And so she's like, uh, yeah, sure. I'll go make some coffee. So she goes into the kitchen and she just listens for him. He grabs the keys. He goes out the door. He, he starts the truck and it works and he goes away. But she then immediately calls the sheriff, which now they have a telephone. They end up having a telephone put in. So it kind of ties that in together. And she says, um, a German POW just uh, stole my truck. And he's going to run out of gas about at the bridge. And so you just kind of think, like, she's <laughs> yeah. just kind of she's a little bit more wise to the ways of the farm and what's going on with the truck. And she that's a clever little thing that yeah. she does to end up getting him captured uh, without really, you know, implicating anybody, like you said. So... Well, and yeah. then she and burns the fabric burns it. of the yeah. clothes that the guy took off. She burns that. And then while she's in the kitchen pretending to make coffee, we see her water break. So then she's on the phone going, yeah, this guy stole my drug. And also, I need help. I'm in labor. labor. <laughs> Could you send someone out here, please? Well, and also that it's, she burns the clothes and then she throws that locket with Edward's you know, picture in it into the fire. It's like a very full circle moment of like, I'm that was that's the past. I'm letting that go. And I'm like choosing to move on in my new life. What was something something that stood out to me that was pretty poignant for me watching this time that I think had never really hit me quite this way when I had watched before was the idea that when it comes to who you're intimately involved with, and somebody that you choose to spend your life with, it's it, there's a painful truth about that, that if you don't protect yourself and guard yourself, um, you cannot expect anyone that you might, just everyone that you might get involved with to look out for your best interest or to protect you. She got involved with this guy, and I it seemed like she maybe had this assumption that like, well... You know, it didn't seem like they really knew each other well, but she wrote him and like she thought, oh, yeah, maybe he he wants me and he'll come back and we'll be a family. She got involved with somebody who ultimately could not be depended on to consider her and the fact that she had had sex with him, you know, like she she had not tried tried him as a person to see if he was worth that someone that she could trust with that part of herself and then when we see her marry ray and we see how selfless he is and doesn't really ask her for anything until the point where he gets the letter and it's you see some of his insecurity as well that he he goes over and he kisses her and he says is there anything that you like about me livy like he's he's given so much and then she comes to this realization, this is a person that I can be with, that I can trust. It, I just, it hit me that it's really sad that more people don't kind of realize and rely on the, the fact that if you are not protecting yourself, other pe- people that you might get involved with, they are not out there looking out for your best interests. They're not going to be out there to protect you. Well, I think she uh, begins to just... Uh, expect Ray to behave in a gentlemanly way and in, and, and mm-hmm. to think of her first and to put her first and to treat her with kindness and everything to the point where she's 
She's not acknowledging any of that. She's not realizing how good of a man he really is and how kind he is toward her. She just kind of was like, well, I mean, that's, you know, raised the guy who, you know, digs the swimming hole when I didn't really ask him to. I don't know why he does that. You know, she, she just doesn't ever appreciate the things that he throws her way. Or at one point, he so he knows that she's interested in archaeology and the city of Troy. And so he goes to the library and checks a book about it. Um, he checks out a book and he reads it and she makes a comment to him like all anybody ever talks about is the weather and crops and everything. And he yes. makes an effort in conversation when um, when cousin Hank or, you know, brother-in-law Hank is trying to talk about crops again that he's like, no, I'm going to bring up this. Uh, I've been thinking about the city of Troy. And, you know, he just like he does little things like that to show her that he really cares for her. And I think she just takes all of that for granted um, and doesn't really realize how much she's using him until he kind of is like, do you even like me? Like, what is going on here? You know? Yeah. Well, and I I think right in that scene when she's like, yeah, man, I met Rosie and Florian. It was so nice to talk to some college educated people. She almost says it like a snub. They're actually like kind of arguing for the first time, maybe a little bit about um, the familiar, the, the, uh, familiar t- enough with each other that they can argue now right so they're but um she kind of is insinuating he's not very bright and doesn't really know that much and they then they go to dinner at martha's house and he the subject of the weather comes up and he purposely pivots it to a subject that is her strong suit even after they just argued in the car and it kind of also proves that like hey he's not completely he's not completely stupid he can read a library book right but also to to go from her to have her basically saying everybody out here is dumb there's nobody I can talk to on my level to in the next scene being selfless to try and turn the turn the conversation to a subject where she would feel strong and able to contribute in a in a situation where maybe she's been uncomfortable in the past right this is his family he doesn't know these people as well as him he's putting He's putting the ball in her court so that she can, like... He makes take... an opening for her. Yeah, yeah, he does. And I will say in that scene, she does reciprocate because when they've talked about that subject mm-hmm. a little bit, she's like, so what crops are you going to plant in that field? You know, and she tries to repay him the favor and say, you know what? I can talk about what you want to talk about, too. Like, I shouldn't be such a jerk. She sort of, you know, has that. And I think that this movie, it can tend to be a lot of, you know, bash Livy because... She doesn't realize what she's got. And Ray is so selfless the whole time and just, you know, seems to do everything right. And she kind of seems to do everything wrong. Um, But I think you also sort of see her through his eyes a little bit. And so you kind of have to almost have a respect for her in the way that he sees her and all that he does for her and the Mm -hmm. way he cherishes her. Um, That, you know, I don't I don't think, you know, that she does have some good qualities. She's not great at showing them in this movie it's definitely more of a movie of growth for her than it seems to be for the other Mm -hmm. characters um but there's a lot of redemption in that that's really satisfying and then um you do sort of get the sense in the end that hey they kind of have come to a place where they they're equals and they have this good relationship with each other yeah by the end they have this like mutual relationship um but when you think about it 
this is a very uncomfortable situation Mm -hmm. that she is in. It is not her idea to go and marry some stranger who lives in the middle of nowhere. And she takes this long train ride. She takes this long car ride. She marries this guy. She has spoken maybe 20 words to prior to the wedding. And he seems really awkward and uncomfortable, which, you know, is natural, but, but not very charming either. They go out to his to his farm and there's not a phone. The library is an hour away. The nearest neighbors are miles away and it's his sister, you know, like the closest neighbors. She she is alone in this house with a guy that she has just met and is married to. And she doesn't know how this guy is going to treat her like he seemed pretty calm, like reserved and quiet. And then he, you know, they open up, he opens up a little bit more as you go on, but, and she also doesn't know what he might be thinking of her. Like, when they first meet, he says, I can't believe, you're so fine, I can't believe a man, any man would do this to you. But for all that she knows, like, he looks at her as less than, and, or unworthy, or as easy, and is just maybe expecting something from her, but he you know, he never pushes her. Like, she doesn't know what to expect. And I think it's natural that there are probably, like, some barbs or some defenses that you would have there because this is a total stranger and she's alone with him in the middle of nowhere and does not know how she's going to be treated. Well, and then the the longer you go into the movie, the more you get to know him, the more you realize he is a really good person and he's one of maybe, like, a handful of people who like know all of her baggage about getting pregnant and all of that and he still is choosing to be kind to her that would be enough to make you maybe feel insecure and I think you see you see several moments where she just is not is not always dealing with the reality of the fact that I'm pregnant and this is happening I think one thing I noticed this time I'd never noticed before is when she gets off the train to where Reverend Case is going to pick her up at the train to drive her to town to get married. When she first meets him, she can't look, she doesn't look him in the eye. You know, it's like mm-hmm. she, she knows that he knows what she's done and she's ashamed. Right. And, but I also, the scene where they meet at the church, but right before they get married, I always find that it's clearly it's awkward, but I find him endearing in that scene because when she steps in, you almost feel like you can see his eyes bug out like, She's pretty attractive, you know. She and is out of my league. Out yeah, of my he's, league. he's kind of like, uh, <laughs> wow. I like he inadvertently hit the hit the lottery in one way, maybe. Yeah, I think that you know she has this expectation that he will judge her for what she's done, or like, there's no way he can think that what I've done is okay or be accepting of this or whatever. Um, and or I think even she, care about the baby at all. Yeah, she. I think you know maybe doesn't understand how his gestures can be genuine. She just doesn't think, like, how could he be genuinely treating me like this with kindness? Like, are you mm-hmm. serious? He's he's not thinking any bad things about me. Yeah, right. Like, she won't give him the benefit of the doubt in her mind, and it takes her a really long time to realize, like, oh, no, he's just really a loving person. Yeah, he's not judging me. You know, she. it just takes her a really long time to get there. And then... By the time we get to the end, it's a realization that it was never about, it, it wasn't really about his judgment. It was about her judgment of mm-hmm. herself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, um, you know, this is, 
when they're they are in that initial meeting and she's sort of saying like are you having second thoughts now that you've seen me do you still want to do this and and she says do you have anything you want to ask me you know like she's pregnant with another man's baby is there anything about that you want to know about like and he said uh no there's nothing about that he needs to know about like we're just gonna leave that in the past you know but i do think you know um there are several ways in which like throughout the movie you just feel like she's not really she's just it's taking her a long time to process through what's going on and um i think you know like they ask her um or uh, her niece Ruth asks her, what are you going to name the baby? And she's like, oh, well, I haven't really thought about it. Um, hey, do you have maternity clothes? Do you need maternity clothes? Uh, I haven't really thought about it. It's like almost like if she can just pretend that it's not happening and like this is not her life. This is a temporary situation. Or even when the yeah. the uh, Rose and Flory ask her like, oh, when are you due? And she's like, oh, I just I didn't realize that I showed yet. Like she's just kind of yeah. in denial even at that point. Well, and I, you know, you, you do, you really feel like he, as soon as they're married, it's like, all right, this is our farm. We're expecting a baby. He's all in committed to this. This is the future. Like when he's digging that swimming hole, he's like, I'm going to dig this swimming hole. So you and the children can go out and swim in the summers. And she's like, children, whoa there, you know? Um, and she, but she, you know, the, when she first gets into town, like to go to the library or whatever, she's like, she's going to call her sister and like, he's not horrible, but her sister says, remember, this isn't forever. And I always, I kind of like bristle at that moment. Like "Mm, you did sign up to marry this fellow, even if it wasn't your idea, it really actually should be forever, but that's clearly not what what her mindset was going into it. I, I, I think the selflessness uh, required in order to sustain the marriage is kind of like to me that's kind of the big point behind what happens in the plot he very immediately takes that view that I think is correct to take in marriage and in this situation that my farm is your farm your baby is my baby and then I think where we start to see that reciprocated more is when he takes Livy to the grave of his brother that had died um, in Pearl Harbor. And he's like, this is the piece of family history that that means the most to me. Uh, and kind of describes his relationship with his brother and some of that. And then we just see her like step over to him and like put her hand on his back and like grab his arm. And that was like a reciprocation of the sorrow that he was feeling. It was like a, your sorrow is also my sorrow too. So he he starts off the relationship with that level of of giving in and I want to say union to her and then she gets to that place where she reciprocates that as well. But sometimes in relationships that require that selfless love, you give that for a while and you don't get anything back and yeah. that's not that's not really the point. Well, I think, you know, all all kinds of relationships go through seasons of giving and taking where maybe one person is having a harder time. And so for a while, you're maybe you're the person who's on the give more of the giving end. And and then later on, you know, you have a point where you're you need to be the person receiving. I think there's there's kind of a in a healthy relationship. Hopefully there's kind of an ebb and flow 
in that that does not weigh unhealthily towards one person or the other person. Well, I think we're coming up to the end of our review for The Magic of Ordinary Days. Um, let's hear your final thoughts on on this movie. Well, I just have to throw in there this interesting tidbit. So um, years ago, I read the book, which I don't fully endorse because um, there may be some pages you need to flip through, a few things you need to skip. But um, it's just interesting that the plot uh, with the with the Rose and Flory um, is different in the book. So it, uh, both of them are involved with two uh, POWs. So Rose also has really? somebody. And um, they both... So I think they end up successfully... Livy like, actually does get them to like help them escape. I think that the escape is actually maybe successful. If I remember correctly, it's been a long time, but um, they actually end up getting caught because of the fabric um, at the camp. And um, they realize that they had made them, you know, bum uniforms or whatever. Like they get caught and the girls go to Denver and are put on trial and spend, uh, I think a few years in prison. Um, Wow. Both of them get thrown in prison for it. So in this movie, it ends with this like happy little baby shower and both of the the girls are there and they give her a book about butterflies and they made her quilts for the baby and all of that. Actually, in the book, they are in prison. Wow. <laughs> so it's just that different. Interesting. <laughs> so they kind of chose a Hallmark ending, like a little bit of a happier it's, ending. Yeah. Maybe for the they definitely I approve. Glossed, yeah. They definitely <laughs> glossed that over. Yeah. Boy. That would have been a we downer. wouldn't like Livy very much if she helped. Them. Well, I don't think she did it. I can't remember what actually happened at that part, but I just I do know that the girls actually do get caught for for being treasonous, basically for being traitors. That's too bad because it's really one of Livy's finest. I'm not, you know, I can't remember like, what Livy does. This yeah. is stupid. Yeah, I can't remember what Livy does, but in the end, the, the girls get caught, um, and Livy kind of is in mm. the middle of it a little bit, so unknowingly yeah. in the middle. Maybe, maybe they'll, maybe they'll make a sequel. It's like you thought they burned all the scraps of fabric. They didn't. They didn't. Like, the next movie is the trial saga. Yeah. <laughs> No, I would say a cu- couple things. Um, you know, this there were there were occasional moments of like levity in there. Yeah. Also, it wasn't all sort of like serious and angst. Um, I thought that. I mean, of course, the Pratt sisters always. Oh crack me up yes, be- the twins. Because your yeah. wife, <gasps> your, your wife, wife. And we the never way knew. things have worked out here with that and raised such a fine young man. Which, first of all, I saw some single ladies standing in the dance floor at Martha's birthday. So I don't know where those ladies came from, but they must be. You kind of feel like Ray is so shy that he maybe would never ask anybody to marry him in a traditional way that it almost took a pastor coming to him and saying, you are such a quality human being. And I have this situation. I want to do an arranged marriage for this girl who's going to have a baby. Like, are you cool with that? Like, that's maybe the only way he was actually going to get into a marriage is if someone else arranged it for him. Because he's he's just so shy and he keeps to himself and he's a hard worker and he's busy on his farm, you know. But don't you kind of wish that, like, that was actually real? Like, if there were actually other pastors that you trusted, be like, hey, I know I know this single guy at this church. and my A new dating network. A single, <laughs> a single, yeah, knows a single lady at that church over there. Let's set him up on a blind date, you know? Which I guess that's what, that's what like, 
eHarmony or Christian Mingle are supposed to be. Not the same thing, though. Really that's not fail. the same as arranging really something, you know. And that's 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 more like a uh, a matchmaking network or something. Call him call him Yenta or something. But um, uh, anyway, the Pratt sisters crack me up because I always think. Reagan and I, you know, when we're old, Reagan will be the one baking cakes and I'll just be the nosy one in the floral hat. So there's that. <laughs> They're hilarious. I'll they s- just add a good uh, humorous element and you can't describe them. I mean, like you have to see the movie yeah. to see these two sisters. I, I like how he's like, we're really going to enjoy that they cake. They bake him a cake every you. week. They're so <laughs> sweet. Sunday. They're looking after this nice single young man in their church, you know? Yeah. Well, and I also think, you know, the first times I watched this, I think I... I felt like the niece was super annoying the niece ruth but i think when i watch it now i sort of think you know i'm pretty sure most preteen, young teenage girls were like that this is a fine woman from the city that yeah Yeah, i mean mean, she's never seen anybody as fashionable as this she's wearing a store-bought dress with a matching hat and her hair is fan you know and now she's a member of the family like i i always think when um when Ray's sister, the family comes over and Ray's sister and Livy kind of sit down and are talking and Ruth just kind of sits herself there, not really to contribute, but it's almost like to just watch the, like, she wants to be part of the ladies group, you know? I feel like if, like most girls do that as a way of, oh, I'm going to, like, see how these people, in how do women interact? What do they talk about? You know, all the fascinating things that women She talk wants about. to be grown be up honest. before she really she is, wants to be, yeah. She wants to be grown up. And that struck me as less annoying this time and more like, eh. If that's annoying, it's probably because that's how we all were when we were that age. <laughs> and then now as an adult, you, like, recognize that. But. And she doesn't know. She doesn't really seem to understand, like, the circumstances. She's fairly naive. Into the yeah. family. She's pretty mm-hmm. naive. Um, so she just, like, idolizes her life. Whoa, she's so amazing. She's pretty. Her hair is awesome. She's wearing this great dress. She's so phenomenal and stuff and just thinks, like, They're having she a baby. Have any... I'm going to have a cousin. This is the... She, she doesn't have any, like, judgment there because she really doesn't know better, but it's yeah. kind of sweet. But really, Hank and Martha are moment. great, too. Like, their whole family yeah. is just really great. Like, they treat her with the... such love and kindness. The other moment I really like is at Martha's birthday party. Oh, my goodness. When, so Martha's dancing around like a fool and just yeah. having a great time. She really time. is a fool for dancing. <laughs> she really is. And the, <laughs> the guy who's 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 um, leading the band's like, Martha, Hank says that you're a wonderful wife. And we know you're a great, a great mother and a top-notch friend and all of this stuff and gives a speech. And then everybody's clapping, yeah. clapping. And then Hank's like, love you, Martha. She's like. I know. <laughs> yeah, I always crack up. Right there. Cracks me up the whole time because it like I don't think it was necessarily intended to be yeah. just like an off-putting remark, but it was just like so self-confident and like she did not feel the need to like say it back to him. She's just like, I know. It's my birthday party. You know. This is about me. I know. You love me. <laughs> I know. We love you, Martha. I know. <laughs> Well, I think um, we're ready to wrap this up. I think overall, this is a really great story about what it means to be selfless in a relationship with another person. Um, a lot to learn about the way that we treat other people who... <laughs> Bolana has something to say before we close. Um, I, a really great story about um, the power of selfless love and giving to other people. So... That is going to wrap us up for today. Uh, Stay tuned for another episode next time.